0: Hey, will you guys uh, pray with me as we get rolling? Father, thank you so much for holding on to us as we just sang. Uh, God, now... Um, as we look at your word, I pray that your spirit uh, would come in uh, almost tangible ways, that we could sense you and feel you. Would your spirit show to us what you want us to see and learn from this passage? God, would you give us sharp minds? Would you give us soft hearts as we look at um, how your word comforts and brings us hope? God, we need you in this moment. Would you be with me? Would you be with all of us as we look at your word now? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen uh, so i uh, I moved to Omaha in about two thousand and nine to come here to go to school at. UNO, and, and I came here uh, kind of as a maybe you'd say kind of a religious kid. I was uh, some people might say like kind of a nominal Christian, if you know what that means. So basically, I, I came into college as a uh, I kind of believed in God, had some sort of sense for who He was, but really didn't actually understand much about Him. Didn't understand how He had relevance for my life. Didn't understand anything about the Bible or Jesus or or anything like that. So that was kind of my spiritual state as I uh, come into college. Now, when I was a freshman... I got connected into this little college ministry at Christ Community Church here in Omaha, and uh, so I got connected into there. And uh, it was funny because there was a, the college pastor at the time uh, for about a year, almost twelve months, repeatedly just was preaching the gospel to me. So we'd meet up, and he would talk to me about the gospel, and then he'd see me on a Thursday night, and he'd talk to me about the gospel, and he'd just over and over and over again. He would preach to me the gospel, and it took about a year uh, before I actually kind of understood. understood. Understood what he was saying. So, uh, just a side note, if you feel like you're in that place where you hear this message over and over and over again, it's just not clicking, uh, take heart. I was in that exact same spot. I was hearing the Bible week after week after week, and it just didn't click until one moment uh, he preached it, and for just some reason, just my eyes kind of opened. I saw the Bible for what it was saying that Jesus was my hope, and, and I became a Christian. Now, from that point on, as I said, I was a sophomore, things kind of took off. So I was this like baby Christian. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember this. If you became a Christian a little bit later in life, uh, you kind of have this zeal and this passion. Like, I'm gonna like, Conquer the world now, right? Like, I understand this for the first time. I'm gonna go, and so, like, literally three months after I became a Christian, I'm on a plane to China on a mission trip. So I'm in China for a couple months. I come back and I'm ready to hit the fall semester. I'm like, I'm gonna conquer UNO. And so I thought, here's the way that we're gonna do this. I'm gonna go and just take all the religion courses I can. And I'm gonna be the one, I'm gonna, like, convince the professors and all the, like, staunch atheists in the class. I'm gonna do this and we're gonna conquer, uh, all the campus for Christ. And so I was, uh, maybe a little bit ignorantly arrogant, but I, I had zeal. I was ready to go. I was this baby Christian. I was excited. Um, and so I thought, here's what I'll do. I'm going to first start with a, a New Testament class. I thought maybe I'll meet some other Christians, maybe the professor will be a Christian, we'll kind of, maybe I can lead a whole charge, and like I'll take this whole team of people and we'll conquer the religion department at UNO, and so I thought this was going to be awesome. So it's day one of the fall, and if you remember back to college, you know what that's like. You're kind of excited still. I'm still wearing like jeans and a button-up, I'm not in sweatpants for the rest of the semester. I'm still like awake going to class, and it's awesome. So I get to class first day. And uh, my New Testament professor says, hey, why don't you grab out your textbook, uh, because we're going to walk through kind of what this semester is going to look like. So I grabbed the book, and it was written uh, by a man named Bart Ehrman. Maybe some of you know him. I had no idea who this man was as I got to this class. And so we get out the textbook, and he starts explaining. The professor says, okay, we're going to use this book, uh, because in it, this professor from North Carolina, Bart Ehrman, uh, he uses this book to essentially uh, try to disprove uh, that we should believe in the New Testament. So I'm starting to get a little bit rattled and basically he goes through and he, he highlights all the discrepancies, the contradictions, the uh, uh, basically everything that you shouldn't believe in the New Testament. Uh, and so I'm, you know, sitting there, I'm a little bit shook up. Uh, and as I started looking into this man, Bart Ehrman, uh, he, he became really interesting to me. So that was, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago, and since then, I've kind of just kept track with him a little bit, and uh, he actually, it was really interesting, because I thought, okay, surely a guy who's a professor at North Carolina, uh, a guy who, um, who's writing books, basically trying to disprove the Bible and Christianity, for sure this man, he probably grew up just like hating the church, probably outside of the church, I never really liked the church, and so I did a little research, uh, and that's actually not the case at all this man actually grew up in a traditional Christian home. For a majority of his life, he actually classified himself as a Christian. You know, he continued on even after he got into his academic career and basically said, we can't believe the Bible. For 15 more years, he still said, we can't believe the Bible, but I would still call myself a Christian. And he did this until there was a point, because today now if you were to ask him or if you listen to him, he calls himself an agnostic or an atheist, uh, and he said that he believed in Christianity until he wrestled with one main question. He said there was one issue that he had that caused him to completely leave the faith. He, he said it wasn't his intellect, he didn't like educate himself out of Christianity, he said, there's one problem. He said, I couldn't give an answer to this question. How could God be all loving and good, all powerful and in control, yet there still be suffering in the world? He said, that was it. That was the problem. The problem of suffering, he said, was the thing that actually caused me to leave Christianity. Not the issues with the Bible, not intellect, not data of history. He said, the main problem I have with Christianity is that it says there's a God who is good, yet I look around and all I see is suffering. He said, the problem of suffering is the reason I left the faith. You ever wrestle with that problem, this, this issue Right? Have you ever looked around and you said, "Okay, I know the Bible says God is good and He's loving, but yet I see another natural disaster that just ruined thousands of people's lives. Like I know that God says He's good, but I see you know a, a hospital right over here with thousands of people that, that are just fighting for their life. How, how can this be? I know that God says He's good, but I see another child come down with cancer. Like I know that God is good, but I see another marriage just completely." fall apart. You ever wonder that question, how can God still be good if all I see around me is hurting and suffering? So, you know, I wondered, okay, so if he says that this problem can't be reconciled, then then what's his answer, right? Like, this man who says that we can't believe in Christianity because of suffering— What's his answer? So I listened to this lecture that he gave, uh, and you know, he gives this whole lecture on here's the problem of suffering, here's the issue with it. Some Christians, some Jews, some people give you some responses, but basically it's not good. You can't believe in God. And somebody got up afterwards, and they asked him. They just straight up said, okay, what's your answer? Like, like what do you believe then about suffering? And, and here's his response to the, the problem of suffering. He says, in fact... This problem of suffering led me away from a belief in a personal, omnipotent, powerful, loving God. I don't personally believe that such a being exists. My answer to suffering isn't that God is involved with it. I think suffering comes because we live in a random and chaotic world. And sometimes we just get in the way of it. That's why there isn't necessarily an answer but a response. So what he basically said to this guy was, look, the reason they're suffering in the world is just because it's a random and chaotic world. And sometimes we hit the negative. He says, look, there's really no answer for this problem. So he said, I'm running from God, but I don't really have anywhere else to go. But he says, there's a response. So the guy asked him, okay, well, what's the response? And he said this, he said, our response to suffering, live life to the fullest, because this is all we have. We should eat good food, drink good wine. We should drink micro-brewed beer. We should enjoy our families. We should enjoy our friends. We should stay up late drinking single malt scotch, discussing the big issues. We should enjoy life as much as we can for as long as we can. And we should work to make life happy and satisfying for other people who are less fortunate than ourselves. We should do more because this life is all that there is and we should grab for it all that we can. So Ehrman says that because there's suffering, God can't be real. So what do we do then? Well, just try to live as happy as you can. Like when you hit that random chaos that makes you feel pain, just grab a scotch, talk to a friend because you just have a few years anyway. Now, I don't know about you, but that like when I heard him, that like it just was so unsatisfying. It's almost like maddening. Right, I mean, you think about if somebody's suffering and you just say, you know, it's, you, you have a few more years, so just try to not be in so much pain, right? Just try to get through it. Like, life kind of stinks sometimes. Just keep going. I mean, let me be clear. I completely disagree with his entire premise. Like, this whole thing saying, look, suffering exists. That means God doesn't exist, so just try to be happy. I, I think that's ridiculous, in fact, I would say that I believe that because there's suffering, we don't run from God. We must actually believe in God because there's really no other answer in this world. I mean, this is a world-renowned scholar and thinker and he's saying, look, if there's no God and suffering exists, then you don't really have an answer. There's really no hope to, put, uh, to walk on. There's nowhere to put your hope and your trust in that moment. But I believe that If we live a life with God, if we actually have the presence of God, he doesn't run and abandon us in our suffering. He gives us hope in the midst of our suffering. If you feel that this morning, if you feel the weight of suffering, or if you have a a family member a friend who's feeling the weight of suffering, I want you to know that this isn't a, a reason to bolt from God. It's a reason to put our hope in God. And that's what I want us to see from this text this morning. That really, in the problem of suffering, he, he really is the only answer. He, he's the only way to find hope in suffering. So if you've got a Bible, go to Romans 8. We're just going to look very quickly uh, at, at this kind of passage and just simply look at this idea of suffering. Because here's the reality. Don't, don't mishear me today. I just want to get this out. Christianity isn't a quick fix out of suffering. Okay? So there's not like uh, non-Christians suffer and then Christians, once you become a Christian, you just don't suffer anymore. It's not true. But Christianity offers hope in the midst of suffering. And Paul shows us this in Romans 8.18. This is kind of the, the core part of our verse. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So Paul, if you notice, he kind of sets up two time periods. He says, look, there there are present sufferings, but there is a future glory coming, right? There there is the problem of suffering today. He just says that, but there is a hope that we can have in tomorrow. So what I want to do is just quickly look at this uh, and just look at those two things. I want to look at present sufferings and a future glory, okay? I want us to be really honest about the problem of suffering and then really hopeful in the future glory as to come. So uh, first, let's look at this idea that Paul talks about, about this suffering in this present time, this present suffering. So he begins in this verse by just flatly telling you, in this present time, there will be suffering, right? So I don't know if you guys ever, if you have that friend who is just like utterly and completely brutally honest with you. You guys have that, or maybe your spouse or someone who's just is like, doesn't matter, just always tells you the truth. That's that's Paul, all right? So I, I'm not like that at all. I hate confrontation. I don't like to be brutally honest. I talk around things a lot. So, uh, But if you're that person, good work. You're like Paul. If you're not that person, your spouse can look to you and say, you're a sinner because you're not like Paul. Just kidding, don't do that. But here's the reality. Okay, so Paul, brutally honest with us, just saying, look, we're not going to hide from this as Christians. If you believe in the Bible, that doesn't mean you just don't think about the negative things. He says, in this present time, there's going to be suffering. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to wrap it in this cute little bow. And I think for us today as Christians, we also need to be brutally honest about suffering. We need to just admit, look, this world is broken. There is pain. There is hurt. And we need to be able to come to terms with that. But that doesn't answer the question, right? So Bart Ehrman says, uh, why is there suffering? He couldn't make sense of this. Where is there suffering? So he gave his response. Uh, But what I want to do this morning is just kind of give you what I think the the Bible's answer to that is. To, To the question, why is there suffering in this world? Now, if you remember back to when we were studying through the book of Joel this spring, uh, we looked at this idea of suffering, and and we kind of gave three categories that we need to think uh, through in terms of suffering. Because we don't believe that the Bible says uh, that because suffering exists, God doesn't exist. We believe that the Bible actually teaches that if you look at all of history, suffering exists not because God doesn't love us, but because we as a people didn't love God. So God set up this world where it was perfect, it was whole, we were with God, everything was good, and the problem in the world is not God, it's actually our sin against God. And so when we think of suffering, we need to think it's not because God doesn't exist, it's because sin does exist. But there's three ways that I want us to think through this to have a a healthy view of suffering. So we'll throw them up here. There's three things that we need to think about in terms of sin causing suffering. So the first one is that suffering exists sometimes because of our sin. So that's just a reality. The way that the world is set up is that sometimes when you sin, that will cause hardships in your life. Right? Like, Like if you are addicted to a drug or alcohol or some sort of substance, that is going to bring pain and heartbreak in your life. If you cheat on your spouse or if you're addicted to pornography or if you have something like that in your life, there will be hardships that come because of that. So not all the time, but sometimes suffering and pain in your life happens because we are sinning. But the second one uh, is that sometimes suffering exists because of others' sins. Right? Sometimes we suffer and sometimes we are in pain because we are relational beings. We are connected with other people, and there are sometimes that we hurt because someone has sinned against us. Right? There, there are some times where you may feel pain because somebody said something, did something, didn't do something took off, broke a relationship. There are times where we get hurt, and maybe you need to hear this this morning, um, and you didn't deserve it, right? There are times where maybe in your history you had people do really bad things to you, and there's pain and there's hurt, and that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. That means that sometimes other people's sin really affects us, okay? So sometimes we sin and it causes suffering. Sometimes other people sin and that causes suffering, But third, sometimes suffering exists simply because of sin in general, right? Just because the world is broken. We'll see this in a little bit, but if you look down in our passage, it says that when we sinned as humankind, the whole world was subjected to futility. Like the whole world became broken because of our sin. So this means that we live in a broken, fractured, hurting world not because God doesn't care about the world, but because sin has broken the world. Like When we think of natural disasters, and when we think of uh, just pain and heartbreak, when it seems like there's no explanation for why this is happening, we have to remember that sometimes we suffer simply because this world is hurting. This world is broken. This world is not just random and, and chaotic, this world is actually feeling the effects of humankind's sin. So the reason for suffering, the Bible says, is not because God doesn't love us. It's because first, we didn't love God. We didn't run after God. We didn't obey God. We didn't live in this perfect relationship with God, but we all broke this. And so we sin, others sin, and the whole world is tainted by sin. Now, I want to make sure that we're thinking rightly about this because Everybody in this room, uh, this idea is not foreign to us, right? I would venture to guess that there's a, many people in this room today that are hurting and broken. Or there's people that you, you have something in your past that just weighs on you. This last week, I was thinking about... Um, you know, when you're preaching on something like this, it's not a very fun week. You know what I mean? Like you're you're focused in on suffering and pain and hurt. And so I, I just took a few moments throughout the week and just tried to think back, uh, which is not fun, but I kind of forced myself to go back into some of those places in my life where I felt the most pain, where I felt hurt the most, where I felt suffering the most. And I, I thought back to times when when I was in high school and into college. So I said I became a Christian uh, when I was a sophomore. And so through high school and into my first couple of years in college, uh, I wrestled pretty deeply at different times with uh, depression. Uh, I wrestled pretty deeply with just kind of hopelessness, right? Like when things just feel dark and you feel weighed down by things going on in life, you just feel alone. You feel isolated, you feel dark, you feel depressed. You know, I had suicidal thoughts. I had uh, just a hopeless, like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, I don't know how I'm going to keep going on. And so, you know, you try to uh, just kind of numb these things. And and so I remember for years, I tried to numb it with uh, drugs or with uh, people or with sports, or I would even just kind of just try to shut off emotionally so that you just didn't feel some of those things anymore. You know, I remember uh, for my wife, Bailey, and I, when we were dating, our first year and a half was miserable. Like, if you don't know our story, it was just terrible. Like, we did—we were just terrible to each other. We, we were angry. We said things. We did things. We had family issues. We just had one thing after another where it was, for about a year and a half, just absolutely terrible. And we were engaged at one point and then broke it off, and then we got back together, and then we broke up again. And, and I remember when we broke up the, the last time— um, I remember I was with a couple friends sitting at a bar, and I know I was sitting in a bar, but uh, so we're sitting there, and I was talking to these friends, uh, and I remember just feeling in that moment like, man, I, I just graduated. I got my first job in ministry. I was supposed to marry this girl, and literally everything was like crumbling. You ever have that moment where you're just sitting there, and you're just feeling like, man, everything in life is kind of crumbling down, and I remember sitting there asking some of these questions. I thought, man, what why am I going through this? You ever ask that? Like, why is this happening to me? I remember thinking, man, I'm trying to follow God, yet everything in my life seems to be falling apart. I remember asking, where am I supposed to find hope? Like, like where am I supposed to trust that something's going to remain stable, that someone's not going to leave me, that something is going to last? You you've ever feel that? Like in those dark moments, do you start asking some of those questions? You wrestle with this problem of suffering. God, you say you're good, but I'm looking at my life and it doesn't seem like it. You know, I think that it's interesting. Um, You know, we we can come here on a Sunday morning and for the most part, we all kind of look happy and and put together. Um, But the reality is that this is not far from any of us. You know, over this last year and a half, I, I've loved planting this church and I've loved helping pastor this church, but uh, that's caused me to kind of uh, walk with some of you in some of the, the dark moments of your life. You know, I remember over the last couple of years sitting with a couple whose uh, kids were growing up and now they were kind of leaving the faith and they didn't seem to believe in God and they're wandering and I saw like the hurt and the heartbreak that that causes Yeah, I remember sitting with a couple uh, who was trying month after month to have a baby, and it just was not happening. I sat with another couple who uh, just, they were married, but they just felt completely isolated. They felt like they weren't friends, they weren't intimate, they had just completely drifted apart, and they felt like, man, maybe this has gone too far. I sat with uh, someone who uh, had the, the death of a loved one, and they're just wrestling through, man, how How do I reconcile God being good and this happening? I know that we struggle with past sins that just won't give up. Lies told about us or that we've told that we are caught in. Abuse is done to us or by us. We have depression and anxiety, eating disorders, and things that just plague us. And I know that people have sat in that seat saying, how can God be good, yet this be my reality? And here's what I want to say this morning. If Ehrman is correct, then his advice, and I would say that's kind of the, the classic kind of worldly advice for us, is if you're in that place, just try to survive, try to endure. It's random, it's chaotic, it's meaningless, and you just have to make it. And If you're in that place, you can believe that, and you can run with that, but I do want to suggest to you this morning that there is a hope in the midst of that. There is a hope that you can have in the middle of this suffering. And Paul's going to go on to say that when you're in this present suffering, there is a future for you. There is a hope to look for. And so uh, if that's the present suffering, again, look at Romans 8.18, and let's see kind of his answer to this problem. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Now, I don't think he's minimizing your pain here. So if you feel that, that he's saying it's really not that bad. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that he knows that it hurts. This man, if you've read through his life story, he felt pain. He felt abandonment. He was killed and murdered. So he gets that that present time suffering is real. But he says that there is something coming that is so much better that it's not even worth comparing with what's the most pain you've felt. So this is his argument. He says that hope in tomorrow will give you the strength to endure today. How do we find hope today? It's in the glory of tomorrow. And this is an idea that I think we kind of uh, get, like on some level. So um, just think, why can a, a state that it has crazed football fans endure a season like you're having this year, right? How can you endure this? Because you have hope that with Scott Frost, in a few years, it's going to be really good. And once we get there, it will make this year and maybe next year all worth it. Because we know that even in the suffering of today, In a few years, it's going to be so good. Or why can a a woman who has had a baby before say, you know what I want to do is go through this nine-month-long insane pregnancy where I'm throwing up, I feel sick, I'm constantly sore, this misery, just to be kept off with going through labor, why can she do that again? Because she knows that after that, there's going to be something so beautiful that it makes that year worth it? Or why can we endure a five-hour drive on going west on I-80 when it is nothing but brown and dead and flat? Because you know that Denver's coming, right? You know that the mountains are coming, okay? So you can endure western Nebraska on I-80 because you know something better is about to come. You see, hope in a future glory helps you endure present suffering. You can endure what's happening today if you have a sure hope in something better coming soon. And a life with God offers hope because if the problem of suffering is sin, then a life with God has the only answer to truly fix sin. You see, if if suffering happens today because of sin, then we don't just need to get rid of suffering, we actually need to get rid of sin. Like sin is the ultimate problem, and that point right there, that if sin is the problem and we need to deal with that problem, that leads us to the only answer, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the only way that we can fully fix sin and the brokenness and the suffering of the world is by one man, Jesus Christ, coming to take the cross. And when he was on that cross, Jesus endured suffering so that he could beat suffering. Right, like He faced the penalty of sin so that he could actually defeat sin once and for all. Oh, at the cross and in his resurrection, we see that the core problem that causes all the brokenness of sin and suffering, pain and hurt, was dealt with in that moment. And we need to believe that suffering doesn't mean that God is aloof, God is distant, God is far off it's precisely because of sin and suffering that Jesus came near. Like you have a God who doesn't just stay far away from suffering, but he entered into the core of suffering. Like into the very heat, in the very midst of suffering and pain, he took the cross for us. Like he dealt with our problems of sin. He dealt with other people's problems of sin. And he dealt with the problem the world has of sin in general all day. on the cross, and in that, if our faith is in that, like we've been talking all series, if we have a life with God because our faith is in Jesus, he dealt with our sin, and he's creating a place where there will one day be no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more heartache. I said Christianity, if your faith is in Jesus, it doesn't mean that in this life there is no more suffering. We still are facing the effects, but the effects are coming to an end. The suffering's coming to an end. The heartbreak is coming to an end. The loneliness is coming to an end. The darkness is coming to an end. And we see that in the rest of this section. You see, Jesus, it's so beautiful, this passage, because he says he's doing two main things here to get rid of suffering once and for all. The first one, look at verse 21. He says that the creation, all of this world is being made new. He says in verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Hear that? the, the creation, the world itself is going to be set free. It says that it's, it's groaning. Like when the world is suffering, it's groaning with pain, wanting to be set free from our sin. And Paul says that he's going to set it free. He says that he's creating this whole new world. Think about a world where whether it's minor suffering or major suffering it doesn't exist. Like no more massive hurricanes or tsunamis or earthquakes. Uh, no more uh, reading the news and just finding moment after moment new shootings and new killings and and new things falling apart. Or or think about even the minor things like you know our our houses. We always have more projects. Why? Because everything's kind of decaying. Everything's kind of falling apart. And so we're constantly fixing things up and making things better. That doesn't exist anymore, right? Like you can drive down an Omaha road and you're not going to have to dodge potholes because the street will be paved in gold. Like there's none of that anymore. Like this is a whole new, beautiful creation. It's set free from its bondage and it will just prosper forever. That's what's coming. But he also says something else. Secondly, look at verse 23. He says, And not only the creation, so that's beautiful enough, but not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. So like creation is groaning, we too, that, that pain you feel, that longing for something else, that's our groaning as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We talked about adoption a couple weeks ago. That while we taste that some now, there's, there's this beautiful inheritance to come. There's this beautiful world to come. There's this beautiful presence of God to come. And he says, our, our bodies are going to be redeemed. Uh, everything will be redeemed. I had this weird, like allergic outbreak last week. Where I had hives like all over my face and neck and all this stuff. And that won't happen anymore, right? Like the, the, if you're, you know, getting a little elderly, and you wake up and the neck hurts and you're kind of getting a little bit slow. Like that doesn't happen anymore in the new heavens. Like everything is new and beautiful. You are whole and you have no more pain or suffering. Everything is wiped away and you get to inherit this new earth that will never fade, that will never break down. A life with God is the only hope in the midst of suffering Because God entered our suffering and is now taking us out of suffering one day. So what do we do? I want to close with this. What do we do if if that's the future glory? If he's taking us there one day, what do we do today? Look at verses 24 and 25. This is how Paul ends this. He says this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He says, Look, if you feel like I don't see this reality making sense with where my hope is, Paul's saying that's the definition of hope. Like, don't feel weird that my reality isn't making sense of what I know to be true. He says, that's what it is to have hope. And he says, if you have that hope, that even if you suffer today, it's coming tomorrow, he says, we wait for it with patience. We endure today with patience because we know that God is not distant. He is not gone from our suffering, but he is slowly making this new. And so here's my kind of final call for us. Um, If you are in the room today and you wrestle with that question, this problem of suffering, um, you can follow Bart Ehrman and you can follow that reasoning. and, And this morning you can choose to say no to God and say that because I'm in pain and because I'm hurting, God can't exist. And you can follow that. But here's where I want you to be really honest this morning. Where are you going to put your hope? Like just very honestly, just if it's not in God, where are you going to put your hope to find some sort of comfort and relief? Like the, the bottom of a bottle or in isolating yourself or just surrounding yourself? I mean, where are you going to find hope that actually lasts in the midst of suffering? So, so we can say no to God and we can turn towards Airman's response of saying, well, I'm just going to try to live a good life, but I want you to think about that to its logical end. Where, where are you going to find hope? You know, I remember that, that day I was sitting at the bar with these couple friends and, and I had to wrestle with this. I mean, in that moment, I had a very real choice. I could say, uh, God, this doesn't make sense. I can't follow you anymore. Like, if you're going to do this, I'm not going to follow you anymore. Or I had to choose to say, even in my suffering, I'm still going to put my hope in you. You know, there's this idea of God's sovereignty. It means God's control. And in that moment, that idea was not just a doctrine that I needed to believe. That was like the ground on which I walked in suffering. You know, when you're in pain and hurting, I had to put my hope in the fact that God is who he says he is. He's doing what he says he's going to do. And I will wait for that day with patience. That's what I want to encourage you this morning to do to wrestle in the midst of your suffering, to decide today to put your hope in Jesus because he hasn't abandoned you, he he saved you. And in that hope, he is saving you until one day when we face a new creation, new bodies forever. And so uh, what I wanna do is I wanna give just maybe 10 or 15 seconds uh, and I'll invite the band up, you guys can come up. Uh, but I want us to just sit here and wrestle a little bit. I don't want to just kind of get us to that point where we, we kind of feel that a little bit and then pull back. I want us to actually jump in and wrestle and put our hope somewhere this morning. Uh, I don't want us to leave saying, yeah, maybe I need to do that someday. I want us to sit here and say, I'm either going to choose to walk from God or I'm going to choose to walk in God. I'm, I'm going to run today away from him or I'm going to put my hope in him. And so... Um, Here's what I love to do. I'm just gonna give maybe 10, 15 seconds of silence and and I would ask you just to allow yourself to step into whatever pain, whatever hurt, whatever past struggles that are weighing on you. And I want you to decide today if you're gonna put your hope in Jesus or if you're gonna walk away from him. Uh, Because this middle ground of maybe or maybe not is is not gonna be helpful. Either put your hope in him or walk in the ways of airmen and just say, well, I'm just gonna try to live a good life. But I'm gonna encourage you to consider how Jesus came to win your hope, to win your soul, and to win this world to himself. And if you would do that, uh, I'm going to pray at the end of this, and then uh, we're going to take communion. And if you if you want to, if you believe in Jesus this morning, I would I would ask for you to come forward. And as you take the, the bread and you dip it in the juice, uh, I want you to, to remind yourself that this is my hope, that Jesus shed his blood, broke his body for me, to to be in me, to be in the midst of my suffering, that he is there and he is with you. And so as you do that, I want you just to consider how Jesus is with you. If you need to stay seated for a while and just wrestle this out a little bit, uh, please do that. If you need to stand and sing, then please do that. But I'm going to give you just a few seconds to just pray and wrestle and i'm going to kind of close this if uh if you're a communion server once i start praying you can come forward there's a gluten-free option in the back uh, but when i'm done praying we're going to sing and then you can come forward so take just a few seconds and just kind of wrestle through where you're going to put your hope this morning Spirit of God, would you help us in this moment for those who are deeply hurting and struggling? Will you give them comfort and hope that you've entered into sin and pain and suffering? And for those who trust in you, even today, maybe for the first time, you are bringing them out. You're creating a new world for all of your people with with full redemption and full salvation, God, and in that we hope. Will you help us endure today? Will you help comfort us today? Will you help us wait with patience today? God, we need to long for you. We want to long for you. Will you help us in this? God, and as we take communion now, um, would you remind us, would you use this symbol to remind us that you've entered into the suffering with us to give an answer to the problem of suffering, that you have died for us, that you have rose again to defeat sin, and you are coming back for us, that we just wait with patience for that day. Would you be with us now? Would you continue um, to help us as we process through this? And would you help us place our hope in you? If you're a communion server, you can come forward. Whenever you feel ready, uh, you can come down the middle aisle. Uh, you can take communion. Like I said, there's a gluten-free option in the back. If uh, if that's not you this morning and you're, you're not there where you can trust in Jesus, I'd ask you just to remain seated. For coming forward is you showing the world and yourself and God himself that all of your hope is in him alone. Not in you creating a better world, not in you being a better person, but simply in Jesus. So if that's you this morning, whenever you feel ready, you can come forward.